Welcome to episode 22 of Paper Talk, a monthly series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the field of hand papermaking. I'm Helen Hebert, and today I'm talking with Susan Gozen, founder and co-chair of Dudonay Paper Mill in New York City. We talk about Sue's childhood in a commercial papermaking family and her desire to get away from paper. But she saw paper in a new light during her college years at the University of Madison and shortly afterwards moved to New York City to start a paper studio in a loft in Soho in 1976. She tells the story of how the mill almost fell through the floor when they first turned on the Hollander beater and how she met the painter Howard Hodgkin when he walked into her bathroom. We talk about how young the field of hand papermaking was when she started and how she had to find rags in the garment district, research chemicals to come up with the proper pigments for coloring pulp, and commissioned a press that looked like a tinker toy compared to the other equipment in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Sue's journey ends with a glimpse of the show she is currently co-curating with Mina Takahashi at the International Print Center in New York which will tell the story of how hand papermaking has been revolutionized from a craft into an art form. Hi, it's Helen Hebert with Paper Talk. I'm here in Brooklyn, New York with Sue Gozen. It is January 18th, 2018. Hi, Sue. Hi, Helen. (laughs) It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, And you are such a luminary in this paper world. (laughs) Tell me, let's just go through your story. How did... How did you first get interested in paper? Well, I first got interested in paper. No, uh, I tried to get away from paper, actually. Uh-huh. I wasn't interested in paper because it surrounded me, because I grew up in a papermaking family, and that's all they talked about was paper, uh-huh. all di- but commercial papermaking. So they were always talking about tonnage and things like that. And I associated papermaking with business, and business meant just making money, doing business and making money. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't interested in it, and I didn't want to hear about it. And um, and this was in the Midwest? This was, but well, my father worked for Kimberly Clark, okay. you know, famous uh-huh. for tissues and for yeah. toilet paper, whatever. Um, but then my whole family, both sides of my family, were involved in different kinds of paper making because um, I grew up partially on the East Coast and then partially in Paper Valley, which is okay. in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And and actually, uh, even as a young person, I certainly knew about the Dard Hunter collection, but I didn't want to hear about it because I just was not interested in paper. I thought of it as, you know, diapers or or whatever, right. Kotex. My next neighbor invented Kotex. Why am I saying this? Can you help this out? <laughs> anyway, um, so then uh, for graduate school, I went to the University of Wisconsin, and I was first in painting, then I went into... Uh, printmaking, especially etching with Warrington Colescott, and I got very interested um, in all of the printing classrooms at the University of Wisconsin. There were all these great things happening. It was a very um, incredible time, actually. Uh, this, this is was, the early 70s? This was, yeah, uh, early to mid, mid-70s, okay. and there was a, a lot happening in printmaking. So mm-hmm. it was a very exciting floor, our floor of mm-hmm. printmakers of all different kinds. And I wandered down to Walter Hamity's class, and I saw these type cases and uh, letterpress, printing presses, and I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting too. So I signed up for his class and learned um, 
how to set type. The first thing he did was dump a full case of type mm. upside down, and we had to put them back in. Anyway, Walter um, is infamous, famous, whatever. He's an incredible book artist. And he had, now to give you some background, what mm -hmm. I always talk about, um, he had learned from Lawrence Barker when he was a student at Cranbrook Academy. And uh, he had learned, well, he'd learned the book arts, but specifically for me, the thing that became very interesting was paper making. Um, so that he learned from Lawrence Barker. And I'll circle back to that history again in a moment. But um, back to learning how to set type and and to make books and bind them. I loved doing it, and I um, got very interested in the whole book art scene, which also was at a very young stage right. at that time. Sure. And uh, Walter also literally pulled out of a closet this little valley beater and some woolen felts, and we had extra book presses to use as a press. And he said, you know, if you want to, because it's very expensive, of course, to buy a ream of paper to make an addition to print mm -hmm. a book, uh, you can raid your grandmother's uh, laundry... Uh, <laughs> linen closet. Linen closet, rather, yeah, and uh, tear up her beautiful sheets to make them in paper. <laughs> so he gave us a demo, and we were all required to make paper, and I did find it really interesting. Uh -huh. And even though I was very, very involved in color photography at the time, and also a lot of uh, photo etching, I just stopped doing everything and signed up for the as much time as I could in the paper mill. And uh, as I've said before, um, I would sign up at like 9 o'clock at night because that was usually the last uh, three to four hour session mm -hmm. so that I could work through the night until <laughs> 9 in the morning because I couldn't stop doing it. Oh my gosh. So right away, because I, I was thinking, okay, what, what comes next after the MFA? Yeah. And it was, there was so much, so many really interesting things happening in Madison at, at that time in the print world, the whole kind of revolu uh, revolution that was going on. But it was also connected with paper making because Joe Wilfer, who had been a student of Walter Hamity's, had a little paper mill out in a barn. Everybody had these studios and barns. It was really a mm -hmm. hippie scene and, mm -hmm. and fun. Um, so he was involved in paper making. Bill Wiggy was another teacher. He was involved in paper making and printmaking. And Alan Shields, who's this okay. you know, brilliant right. innovator artist. And they were they were in the halls. All these New York visiting New York City artists uh, were in the halls of the print department. And we were watching them, you know, work with these teachers, and um, it was just really exciting. Mm -hmm. So it seemed pretty obvious to me that um, that artists would want to make their own paper if they had a choice. So the next thing was to figure out how to build a paper mill in New York City, because New York was uh, the center of the art world mm -hmm. at that time, still kind of is, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, my ex-husband Bruce Weinberg and I did a lot of research. He, we went back and forth between San Francisco um, and New York and realized that New York really was the place to go. So we packed up our VW bus and headed off to uh, Manhattan and we got uh, a loft. Um, and this was when lofts were just being discovered or loft right. living was just being discovered in Soho and Soho was 
um, had been in a very abandoned neighborhood that artists had taken over. All this is such history at this point, but at the time, oh, yeah. we really were pioneering. Mm -hmm. We were pioneering the neighborhood. We were pioneering this craft that had been lost, and even the book arts. And actually, to back up again from that, I may be talking too, big, That's too okay. quickly, but... So before leaving Madison, though, uh, this was 1975, Joe Wilfer organized the first, you might say, gathering of hand paper makers. There were so few people doing it at that time. It certainly wasn't a conference or any kind of associate, formal association. He gathered us all, and we went to Appleton, Wisconsin, which is right next door to my hometown, right. to uh, see the Dard Hunter Collection, which was at the Paper Chemistry Institute in Appleton. And the people who came, like the Clarks of Twin Rocker and the Koretskys and um, Garner Tullis, uh, um, Tim Barrett couldn't make it because he was uh, in, Japan in Japan at that time. Okay. But it was this amazing gathering. And another person who came who was very curious about hand paper making was Richard Minsky, who had just started the Center for Book Arts that uh, year uh -huh. in, um, in New York yeah. City. So, okay, let's fast forward again to... Um, Moving to New York, yeah. VW bus, dogs, cats, oh. kind of crazy. Moving into uh, Crosby Street, and it was fun because um, at that time the Center for Book Arts was on Bleecker Street. It was just up the street from, from right. Cros at the other end of Crosby. So we did a lot of things together in those early days, and we shared a lot of apprentices mm -hmm. um, and did a lot of projects together, conferences, all kinds of things. It was, it was a lot of fun. And because we didn't have any real equipment to, and uh, people weren't designing paper making equipment for hand paper makers at this point. So um, back in Madison, Art Shade and Jane, the artist Jane Hammond, worked together on building our first beater, and mm -hmm. then they brought it out to New York. Um, and we did order some paper molds from Amy's in England. That was like our only official equipment that we had, you might paper making equipment. Um, and then we went to this bailing company in Brooklyn Navy Yard. Everything oh. in circles. <laughs> it's incredible. Where Dijonet is today. That's where Dijonet yeah. is today. <laughs> so we went to Brooklyn Navy Yard and we um, met with these Navy engineers that built huge uh, hydraulic platen presses for the Navy uh. so that they could scrunch ships. Oh. And we told them what we needed, and we overbuilt this incredible little press. And when we went to get it, look at it when it was finished at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, it looked like this little tinker toy <laughs> next to all these huge presses. But it served us well, and it's still, it's returned to, after traveling uh. to Crosby Street and the, the, the press, yeah. traveling to all these different locations in it's Manhattan. It's back at the Navy it's Yard. It's back at the Navy oh. Yard, which is very sweet and still working. It's a great press. Um, so we put the equipment together, and then we had to start searching for rag. And since I had been, you might say, brainwashed by Walter about how it had to be rag paper, um, fortunately, we went, weren't too far from the garment district. Right. So we went up and down the streets talking to all the garment dealers and then out to New Jersey to talk to the garment dealers that were out there. And we tried different kinds of samples of, you know, diaper cotton and shirt cotton because mm. there's so many, and they have all these different names for the cuttings. Anyway, we tried them all. We finally, I'm shortening all of this actually, but uh, we finally decided on uh, this very nice um, cotton cutting uh, cuts uh, from Jarofsky Brothers, and it's the it was the same cotton 
that cranes used uh, for their, um, they make our currency, yeah. and always have. Okay. So we were using exactly the same um, currency cotton rag. Uh, uh -huh. And we cut all the rag by hand, which is insane. And we made every single sheet of paper, we made a lot. Uh, for at least 15 years, maybe 20 years, it was all rag, completely. No linters, which is insane. Wow. I know. <laughs> we cut all that rag. <laughs> and then, um, also at that time, uh, this, you know, hand paper making was still, the revival was still in its infancy. So no one really knew how to color uh, mm -hmm. the pulp. Mm -hmm. And we had learned from Walter to use colored rag. If you want red pulp, you find red rag. Well, you couldn't do that consistently. I mean, sometimes it's fun to have an artist come in and work with their, their clothing and the color comes out. Right. But usually, you want to be able to repeat what you've done, so it has to be very consistent. And um, so we uh, got in touch with DuPont, Hercules, all the big chemical mm -hmm. uh, companies that make coloring for the commercial paper makers. And... Um, and we got these big barrels of all kinds oh of color gosh. that would come rolling into the studio. Uh -huh. And we tried them out. None of it was right. And of course, none of it was archival. We were also learning about archival standards at mm -hmm. that time. Um, so finally, um, I think I just realized that if we use the same colors that were used in frescoes, because it's a water-based mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. alkaline water-based system, that that might work. Right. And so I went off to David Davis, which was this great pigment store in uh, Lower Manhattan, and I started buying uh, fresco colors, uh -huh. fresco pigments, uh -huh. and putting them directly into the pulp. Usually we would put it right in the beater. We weren't using binders. I mean, all this, we weren't using anything. It was just rag and water, and that's it. We were testing our water on a regular basis to make sure that it was a neutral pH, and we started adding calcium carbonate to double... Uh, check on that to make sure it was alkaline. Um, but anyway, so we started uh, using these pigments, and they were really beautiful. And we had, we did a lot of color testing. I don't know if you remember those old charts well, that yeah. I did. I spent months and months just testing. How color. did you get? <clears throat> if you didn't use a retention aid, mm -hmm. how did you get it to stick? Or it just did? I think part of the reason why it stuck, and we weren't making black paper, for mm -hmm. example, which is taken, we take for granted now, or we weren't making, um, I think maybe we added methyl cellulose, probably some archival okay. glue to help out, but also the rag has more uh -huh. starch or something in it. It's got more, yeah, mm -hmm. it ha it's, mm -hmm. it's very different. It's mm -hmm. really very different. This could go on forever. So, so talk a little bit about, yeah, talk a little bit about what you were producing, who was coming into the studio. Okay. This episode of Paper Talk is sponsored by the Redcliffe Paper Retreat, an annual retreat held at Helen Hebert's studio in the heart of the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Enjoy three to six peaceful creative days in the tiny hamlet of Redcliffe, the weekend after Labor Day, surrounded by mountains, the river, and aspen trees as they begin to change their glorious fall colors. Experiment with several techniques as you create a variety of paper objects that will intrigue your eyes and illuminate your spirit. All levels of art experience are welcome. The 2018 retreat theme is Illuminated Paper, 
Come explore a variety of papers that are inherently transparent, discover ways to make paper translucent, and create structures that lend themselves to being illuminated, such as screens, lamps, lanterns, window treatments, and books. Explore these ideas as you create unique paper objects with like-minded people. Find out more at helenhebertstudio.com slash redcliffpaperretreat. That's H-E-L-E-N-H-I-E-B-E-R-T studio.com slash redcliffpaperretreat. So at that time, what we were trying to do is to learn how to be professional paper makers. Mm -hmm. So we were testing all of our supplies, testing our equipment, trying to repeat ourselves over and over again so that we had that down. So the first thing we started doing um, was making fine paper. And we got in touch with Anders Nelson Whitehead. They were the big importers mm -hmm. of fine papers. And they wanted to sell our paper. And Steve Steinberg at New York Central wanted to sell our paper. So we first were um, uh, production paper makers. Okay. And then... Um, just making white papers? Or? Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. All different colors. Okay, but, colors and too. with these pigments. It was yeah. just pigments finally. And, and um, so we started doing that. And then the thing that I'd always been most interested in in school was creative paper making. Mm -hmm. So we started trying to introduce artists to different techniques that they could use. And uh, the new school um, got in touch with us to offer the first university program. Yeah which we had the first one in 1978. We also had a letterpress set up because we were originally Judene Press and Paper. So we had a letterpress um, and lots of type. We uh -huh. went to all the old type auctions and got an incredible setup, type uh -huh. shop uh -huh. set up for like $100. It was crazy. Right. And <clears throat> so we were, we were making production paper. We were selling it to New York Central and to Andrews Nelson Whitehead. Then we started offering the paper-making classes. And shortly after that, my husband and I split up. This was 1978. And I asked Paul Wong to come out mm. to New York and help me continue with Judene because he and I had been graduate students together, and he concentrated in lithography, actually, and I was in etching. But he was just so talented mm. and mm -hmm. steady and mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a great friend. So he came out, and... Um, we started doing some more experimenting and having open houses and demonstrations. And then about the same time, Joe Wilfer uh, had been working on the East Coast. He had moved earlier from the Midwest, had been working on the East Coast, and um, had a falling out with, he had been director of Skowhegan, had a falling out. <clears throat> and so he came and started working with us, and we initiated, we brainstormed about how we could get artists to collaborate. Mm -hmm. um, and gosh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, we did work with a lot of different people at that time. Actually, Alan Shields came came through at that time. But probably the most famous artist was Chuck Close. And mm -hmm. Joe started <clears throat> working with Chuck, um, trying to duplicate his, um, or replicate, whatever, his portraits um, in paper pulp. And that took quite a bit of convincing, quite a bit of testing. And then uh, finally Chuck said, uh, yes, this looks pretty good. Uh -huh. So he was the first, um, oh gosh, I take that back. This would, this would take like hours for me to go <laughs> through everything. But he 
really made a commitment to making the imagery, and he brought in his publisher, Dick Solomon of Pace. And I'll never forget, because these guys were pretty tall, big guys, and at uh-huh. that time I was a fairly petite 27-year-old. Um, and Jack Beale was another artist who was a big artist at that time. These three guys coming in, they were all really tall. <laughs> and they, you know, they wanted to see the professional work, how it was done. Um, so it was very exciting. We, yeah. we got we got that going. And meanwhile, I mean, do you want some of the other stories? There's so many <laughs> great stories about New York City. Like the time I was, it, our elevator opened up, up into the loft. Right. And my neighbors, who were painters downstairs, uh, had invited me down for dinner. So I jumped in the shower at the end of the day, and all of a sudden the, the bathroom door opened. It was right off the elevator. And the painter, Howard Hodgkin, do you know his work? Uh-huh. He's wonderful. Yeah. He walked into me while, while I was taking a shower. <laughs> and both of us screamed, and he ran out again. So I went down for downstairs for dinner, and... And my neighbor said, oh, we want you to meet this this painter, this friend of ours, Howard Hodgkin. Why don't you sit next to him? And both of us started laughing. So I, he had come in and thought he was on yeah, their floor. Right, exactly. This floor. has nothing to do with yeah, paper making. Right. But New York is one of those places yeah. where these things happen all right. the time. And, of course, I could kick myself around the block because he would have been an ideal artist to work with uh, in paper making. Um, all right, so let's get back. So on there track. was um, <laughs> some people were invited and others showed up. And yes. it just kind of was a hot. It was very organic. We started offering more classes. Um, we did not have, uh, well, I was going to say we didn't have funded residencies until after we became a not for profit. So let's talk about that. Okay. What, what instigated that transition? Well, um, the transition. <laughs> really was uh, partially because we had always funded um, research ourselves Mm -hmm. and actually we should have you know been more serious about getting research grants because we were definitely conducting research right and we did get uh, Tiffany grant so that Paul could come and be an intern and Mm -hmm. um, National Endowment for some of our work but right about that time also um, a lot of money that had been around for um, publishing prints, which we kind of fell into that category, um, started drying up because the tax Mm -hmm. laws changed. Mm -hmm. And we realized that in order to continue doing the research that we wanted to do and provide, um, I won't call them residencies, they weren't official residencies yet, but provide the opportunity to artists to come in and experiment and learn how they could do their own work, that we had to get some more funding. And so that was when um, I changed Judenay Press and Paper in 1987 from um, uh, into two different entities. One, Judenay Paper Mill, which is a not-for-profit, and Judenay Press, which would be my publishing, um, okay. a for-profit. Mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. But anyway, <laughs> but my publishing... Um, uh, brand or right, whatever right and then because we were not-for-profit we could start applying for grants which was great so we we started doing that and it was that was also the same time that um, we were doing a lot of different activities which we have always done um, teaching publishing um, 
and uh, we were actually still making um, production paper or and a lot of custom paper. I could go into all those different kinds of projects, a lot of, a lot of projects. Um, but I also, it was a time when I was wanting to have children, mm -hmm. and I knew that I could not run that business right. and have kids at the same time. So we brought in uh, Jill Bullock, was our first executive director, and she... Um, was a, a painter, an artist, but also a very experienced administrator. And she started setting up some, uh, making them official, various programs that we were already doing and uh, getting grants for them, which was great. And then um, I guess the next phase, I mean, things just continued. Right. I, I have so many stories. They yeah. just go on well, forever. We're gonna go <laughs> fast. Yeah, but, yeah, we're going to go fast <laughs> for them. Anyway, the, the next um, probably key person to come in. Although, oh gosh, I hate not to mention like Julia Loving who came. She was our first apprentice and then an employee besides Paul. Mm -hmm. And she had worked at Richard de Bob Mill and uh -huh. had, had come over uh, after finishing her apprenticeship there. And she's the one who told us about how Richard de Bob um, did not make real rag paper. That was like oh. this big deal back there, whether it was rag or linters. Uh -huh. She said it's actually all linters. Uh. But we were still making rag like fools. But anyway, <laughs> so, um, but the next uh, person to really kind of change things around was Mina Takahashi mm -hmm. came in and she always tells her wonderful story. Did she already tell she her did, story? Yeah, with the shoes. <laughs> with the shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and she had just finished up her fellowship in, in Japan. In Japan. Mm -hmm. And she came to Judene. Um And I think by that time I was, uh, I, I was in baby world already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was pretty preoccupied with raising a family and still occasionally uh, doing my book projects, which I've always done all mm -hmm. along, um, but very involved with that. And uh, Mina and Paul just continued. And um, and then you all started coming in. Well, well, actually, I take that back. Then we moved um, from Crosby Street to Broom Street. I was there and, then. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you were there mm -hmm. then. And actually, you know, so many great people came during that whole period So yeah, of time. there was an internship program and the workspace program mm -hmm. which funded artists, four artists a year to come in and make projects and really push the medium. And we had a gallery for the there first time because we were at a mm -hmm. storefront. Um, but, you know, I'm just trying to think of the various people, like Gail Deary first mm -hmm. worked at before at me. Crosby yeah. Street and then Cynthia Thompson worked at Judene on Broom Street. Um, I know I'm just going. Yeah, all right of these there's people all who are still in the still field. involved yep. in some way, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is great. Mm -hmm. And Broom Street was kind of really the right fit. It was you don't really don't need to be on, on a storefront, but it helps. I think. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it was great to have a gallery. Made a big difference, and so we were able to expand on what we were do, what had been doing. You know, for quite a bit of time. Um, and we had more employees and trying to... Oh, that's when we got um, the bigger press from Pace mm, also uh -huh. because our dear friend Joe Wilfer had, uh, a number of years before, had gone, started his own shop directly with Pace and they had built a, a paper-making studio. Uh, unfortunately, Joe passed away and the paper-making studio just really wasn't used, even though Ruth Lingen was involved a little bit, mm -hmm, I think, at that mm -hmm. time. 
Um, so we were, uh, Dick Solomon gave us their big press and we were able to start doing larger work, mm -hmm. which was great. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, the sh although it had been happening anyway, but more and more we were uh, getting away from production paper, certainly, um, still doing custom paper, um, but more and more art making mm -hmm. and art showing. And that's when um, all kinds of in incredible artists started coming in the door and doing wonderful different projects and um, oh gosh I'm going blank besides Aaron who else was was work Megan Megan Morehouse um, oh, right were you there when Megan was no, there no she was after me oh really gosh I, I you know I can't I kind of right. think of locations mm -hmm. and then I think mm -hmm. of different people uh, Megan was a wonderful collaborator too mm -hmm. working with um, all kinds of different artists I uh, just saw some Robert Gober work that she had done at Judene up at MoMA. Mm, um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so again, that was like custom paper, but it was all these different very interesting projects. And you really were the one, although actually our, our first uh, educational uh, experience was with um, a wonderful English woman who wandered into Judene Crosby Street and said, uh, she was English, she said, I've grown up all over the world and people don't know, how, know in the United States, children have no idea how things are mm -hmm. made. Would you mind me bringing my class? And I really didn't want to, but <laughs> she was so nice. Um, so I said, okay. And that was actually the first time we started teaching. And it was just so natural. Uh -huh. you know? and, then, and then we started the university program. But you were really the one who grew the whole educational program. Yeah, um, it had started, but I ran with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and that was a great mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, thing, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so um, there were like 10 years at Broom Street, and then um, I'm trying to think. about 10 at, on, in the 30s? Um, yes, Anyways, that's right. That's, Dudonay that, that's is about, over 40 years yeah, now. Yeah, Dudonay is over 40 <laughs> years old, I know. It's yeah, that's true. I guess it was ninety. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Ten years on thirty six. I'm going backwards now. Ten years on thirty sixth Street. Ten years um, at on um, Broom, and then twenty years at twenty at Crosby. At Crosby. And one of the amazing things, of course, is that Crosby Street. Um, I think we only had like a thousand square feet. I can't believe we did all that we did on yeah. a thousand square feet. Uh, well. That, and on the fifth floor. Yeah, there was and on build the fifth for floor, the water right. and everything. Yeah, oh, I forgot plumbing. to tell the story about <laughs> Should I tell the story about how we almost went through the floor? <laughs> sure. Well, we finally installed all the equipment and of course we had checked with the landlord to make sure the load could carry yeah. this equipment. Right. Yes, it was fine. It was an industrial building. Well, there's a big difference between moving weight and still weight. Yeah. And as soon as we turned the beater on with a full load, the whole floor started oh vibrating gosh. wildly. Uh -huh. So immediately I called up, got hold of an engineer, and he came over laughing. He said, oh, just a couple of blocks away. They went all the way from the fifth floor down to the basement. <gasps> <laughs> so the things that you have to learn about, yeah. oh. uh, you know, in terms of structural engineering things, besides learning how to develop this paper making, I mean, right. one of the things that I, that I didn't talk about from back then is there were uh, 
Um, Richard Royce started a, a paper oh. shop in downtown. Garner Tullis was had moved from the West Coast to New York City. Lynn Forgash was just a few uh -huh, blocks yeah. away. So within a couple of years, there were a lot of little paper-making facilities and, and a lot of interest uh -huh. at that time. Um, slowly but surely, they all closed, uh -huh. and we were the last ones standing. Uh -huh. um, it's, it's not easy to be in the competitive New York art world. Right. It's very expensive. Rents right. are very, very high. So, but, all right. Get, let's so let's jumping around. Yeah, like well, this. we need to kind of start winding <laughs> okay. down. Right. But um, so yeah, talk a little bit about what's happening today. Right now, okay. And and do donate press. What's going? Oh, on. okay, sure. Um, so today, uh, well, I just have to back up and follow okay. Crosby Street to Broom Street. We extended right. from a thousand to three thousand, then. 36th Street, 7,000, and now we just a year ago moved to the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and we have more than 8,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing everything in one studio, we have three different studios. Mm -hmm. uh, one is for education, one is professional collaborations, and the other one is a community service um, studio. Um, we still have an archive that we're building on of art that we've made. Um, we still have an exhibition program. Um, we have off-site exhibitions. Um, it's it's a pretty rich array yes. of programs and end of artists, and we work with a range of artists like Doho Su, who's South Korean. We're, we work with him on a regular basis on seven by ten foot sheets of paper to yeah. help him make his art. And then, of course, some of it is three dimensional, it's sculptural, or like Anne Hamilton, that it's mm -hmm. performance mm -hmm. art. So it's a really wide range. And uh, personally, I'm still, um, well, I'm co-chair of the board, um, and uh, was, I was the one who found the Brooklyn Navy Yard space, mm -hmm. and I think we're, we're pretty lucky to be there, actually. Um, and meanwhile, I'm continuing to work on books the way I always have, and my books are collaborations. I work with an artist, like, um, for example, re fairly recently, uh, Leslie Dill has mm -hmm. done all kinds of work at Judene. I've worked with her and the poet Tom Slay, and I often collaborate also with, with printers and printmakers, and in that case, it was Peter Crudy, and we did a beautiful book. Earlier, I had worked with uh, on a couple books with William Kentridge, mm -hmm. sometimes with printmaking, very often in watermarking. Watermarking is, has always been my favorite mm -hmm. thing. I actually wrote a research paper on it in graduate school uh. for Walter, and it's I've never stopped right. loving watermarking. Right. But um, so I did a book with William Kentridge of watermarks, and and then uh, fairly recently a book with his sister Eliza Kentridge who is a wonderful artist and uh, a, a, an award-winning poet. Um, so we worked on a book, mm. which was great. Um, and I go to a lot of conferences, with you know book conferences, things like that. And my most recent project is taking place in Udaipur, India, and it's working with uh, the Danish artist Anne Wiesbold, and she has uh, lived or off and on continuously for 20 years, knows India very well. And we're working with some Muslim miniature painters, you know, mm -hmm. think of classic miniature mm -hmm. painting from India. Um, and we're working with some images that are 18th century Kama Sutra images. And part of the images painted uh, by these wonderful Muslim painters, and then part of the images I'm working on in watermark. 
So mm. it's again, of course, watermarks, and, but this time it's um, painted images. And I'm going to be going back there in a month oh. to wrap up the project. And I'm working with a local bookbinder um, who is doing this beautiful, um, detailed jealous uh, designs that they use in all their architecture. Uh-huh. A jealous design box that will Ooh. hold the Wonderful. project. So that's me. <laughs> yeah, and then tell me, I know you're working on curating a show about oh, paper. Oh, right, of course. Let's oh, yeah, end yeah, with that. Sorry. It's yes. a perfect okay. end. Yeah, so <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, of course, Mina Takahashi was an incredibly important executive director at Yudne, but for 10 years she's been working on a farm, mm-hmm. um, uh, being a farmer, which is amazing, but she's back in the swim of things in the paper making, and she's uh, joined the Yudne board, and she and I have been working on a show for IPCNY, which is the International Print Center of New York, and it's kind of the main venue for printing, for printmakers and and printing. They have a wonderful gallery on 26th Street, and we're organizing a show that will open April 5th of um, the how Americans, uh, it's the the American version of this, of how through Dart Hunter, Douglas Howell, and then various paper makers in the United States, how we've revolutionized this craft into an art form. So we'll start with some of Dart Hunter, Douglas Howell, Lawrence Barker, Walter Hamady, and then go into some of the amazing work that, of course, Chuck Close did, but also Ellsworth Kelly and Robert Rauschenberg right. and all these luminaries uh, from the American art world. And all the way up through today. Through today, yeah. exactly. And it's just, we're t- on this show, we're just focusing on domestic work because uh-huh. it's such a big right. field now right. that we can include everybody right, right. now. So, but it's very exciting. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we'll wrap that up. Good. I'm sure we'll talk again, <laughs> Sue. Thank yes. you so much. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper, featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at helenhebertstudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay updated is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio in Colorado. You can sign up at HelenHebertStudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you listen to the podcast on a regular basis, you'll notice I've done a bit more editing than usual. This is thanks to the help of Gary A. Hansen. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Paper Talk, where you can find out more about Gary and his services. Subscribe to this series via iTunes. You can also leave a review. I'd appreciate that and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon.